in this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. It is part two of a two-part series, part two of Mailbag Monday. In the first episode, I answered 10 questions. I have 10 more in this episode. This is going to be fun. In the first episode, I answered questions about this draft class. Someone asked me, was it the weakest draft in the 21st century? I answered questions about Alex Saar. I talked about Justin Edwards. I talked about Jacoby Walter, Pella Larson, Harrison Ingram. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about some questions that are more directed towards my eye for talent, what I like. And then we're going to talk about Cody Williams. We talked about him in the first episode. We'll talk about him again. Stefan Castle, Judah Mintz, Reed Shepard. Stay tuned. You do not want to miss part two of Mailbag Monday. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board. I am flying solo today, but tomorrow James will be on. We got Richard and Leaf coming on at the end of the week. And then I will be recording live from Indianapolis for All-Star Weekend. I'm not sure which events I will podcast about, but I know for sure. I will be at Basketball Without Borders all three days, looking forward to seeing which international prospects that I will be talking about in the 2025 NBA Draft. If you're not subscribed to this channel, please subscribe, like, share, comment, click the notification bell so you get notifications because we're dropping content five days a week. We are your source for NBA draft content five days per week. So again, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe, like, share, comment. All right, let's get into let's get into this episode. So the first question is uh, I don't know if it's like a shot at me. Uh, you know what I'm yeah, it's, it's a shot at me. It's it's a shot about my scouting guy, but it's funny. So the person says, You seem to like inefficient gunners that don't pass. Gigi Jackson and Terquavion Smith, just to name a few. And that's all they said. So I took that as a question. So, yeah, I mean, we all have styles that, that we like as far as recruiting. Or not recruiting, but as far as, like, evaluating. It's just like women. Some guys like big girls. Some like short girls. Some like tall. Some like blondes. Some like brunettes. Some like them black, brown, Puerto Rican, Haitian, whatever. So when it comes to evaluating prospects, we all have, like... A certain thing that we like. I love uber confident shot makers and shot takers, guys that possess a lot of offensive creativity. And I think that you can over time develop them into passers or at least being able to let the game slow down and be able to make the right reads. I think it's difficult to turn a a non-shot maker, a non-shot creator into a person that has offensive creativity. I like buckets. That was one of the reasons why I was so high on Paolo Bancaro, number one in 2022 over Jabari Smith. I know the consensus like Jabari Smith, but my thing was at the end of the shot clock, if I'm taking a guy number one, I want someone that can go get me a bucket. And I didn't feel like that was Jabari Smith's game. I felt like he's best when someone is setting him up as a complimentary player. So that was the difference between... For me, Jabari Smith and Paolo Bancaro that year. And with Gigi, 
and I have another question about Gigi's name. It's kind of buzzing. That's, that's coming up later on. I just saw a guy that was super confident in his ability to make shots. Same with Traquavion, a guy that just exudes confidence in himself and his abilities. Feels like he can score at any time, can get to the rack. So, yeah, I, I do have a um, a affinity for, for guys that a lot of people would call inefficient gunners. So, I'll... I'll stand on that. So, yeah, I'll stand on that. All right. Question number 12 is, Brandon Pajemski and Jaime Jaquez should have went higher than they were selected last summer. Do you think teams will make the same mistake about Tyler Kolick? Hey, Tyler Kolick, that game. Kolick is a hooper. He's a ball player. He is a guy that I think that teams are going to overlook it. And I know I've made the mistake of overlooking him in the past, I've left him off my first round, but Tyler Kolick is a hooper. He actually reminds me of Jalen Brunson. A lot of the stuff people said about Brunson, not athletic enough, doesn't have excellent blow-by speed, doesn't have vertical pop around the rim. A lot of the stuff that they said about Jalen Brunson is what I'm hearing about Kolick. But Kolick is a winner. He's averaging 15 points a game, shooting 40% from three, 49% overall, so he's efficient, 87% from the foul line. He is a bucket, and he can pass seven and a half assists per game. He rebounds. He's tough. He's crafty. He's creative, creative in his own way. He's mastered, like, using angles, got a little bully ball to his game. I really, really like Tyler Kolick, so he will not be off my first round lists any longer. I just think the production over time is too good to pass up. I think, again, he has the size, the playmaking, he's efficient from the floor. I actually think he's underrated. I think he's underrated. And again, like I said, some of the stuff that people said about Jalen Brunson is what people are saying about Kolick. I don't know if Kolick is as crafty of a score as, as Jalen Brunson, but I do like how they are similar as far as just using their strength and angles to the advantage to be able to get to the rim. May not be blown by guys, may not be playing above the rim and so on, but the the craftiness and, and, and just mastering angles to me is just as important as like pure athleticism. So I really, really like Tyler Kolick. All right, the next question is about Ron Holland. So the question is, Ron Holland is number 10 on ESPN's latest rankings. They loved, capital L-O-V-E-D, they loved him at the beginning of the season, but he's dropped despite the good numbers. Can you explain why? I have a theory behind it, but it's just my opinion, not ESPN's. I think that Ron has put up good numbers in the G League. I mean, you can't knock the numbers. You definitely can't knock the numbers. I think the style of play has, um, you know, raised, raised some concerns. He averaged 19 and a half point, 6.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists. He's shooting 46% from the floor, 24% from three, 72% from the foul line, and he is only 18 years old, so he'll still be 18 on draft day. Those are all positives, but I do think there are some concerns about how he'll look in a, a scaled-down role. Like right now, with the Ignite, you're putting up a lot of points, a lot of possessions. He is the focal point of the offense. And if he's not the focal point of the offense early in his career, what is 
the role. So the shooting is a little concerning right now, but I guess if you really sit and think about it, he's 18 years old. He's adjusting from the college, not even the college line, the high school line to the three-point line. He's adjusting from being like a four-man in high school to playing the wing against pros. So I think he's done a good job of adjusting. But I just think stylistically that that is the problem. I actually saw somebody compare him a little bit to Josh Jackson. I I get it, but to me, they're, they're different players. Now, Josh was the best high school player I've ever seen in person. Guarded one through five, dominated games just off of his toughness and motor. And Ron has dominated games off just his, his athleticism and energy. And he's, I mean, he's playing extremely well with the Ignite. I thought Josh was was a more so like a point forward. Josh could initiate the offense, run the offense, and, and make plays for others. I think that's probably Ron's biggest weakness right now. Um, Josh was a good athlete, but I think that he had a little bit more pace to his game. Ron just seems to have one speed and it can be sped up, which is a, a reason why the decision-making is a little bit alarming. But he's only 18 years old, and he's averaging more turnovers than assists, and I think that is a, a concern in a sense. But to me, I think Ron is going to be fine. I just don't think NBA teams and scouts are as in love with him as they were at the beginning of the season. But he could prove them wrong because if he starts knocking down open shots, plays with a little bit more pace, then um, you know he, he could easily be the best player in this class and two to three years. So that is my answer about Ron Holland and why I think he's fallen on ESPN's board. All right, when we return, I'll answer a couple more questions. And one of the questions I want to answer is about Rob Dillingham. Stay tuned. But let's talk about LinkedIn. Because when you are hiring for a small business, you are looking for quality professionals that are the right fit for that role, similar to sports. It's all about fit. You're looking for the right pieces to, to make your team better or to help your team reach the bottom line. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs because at LinkedIn Jobs, they have the tools that will help you find the right professionals for your team and faster. So LinkedIn is not just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals. That is crazy. A billion professionals? We don't even have a billion people in the United States. But they have over a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to look for people to hire. It gives you access to the professionals that you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process very simple, easy, and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy that, in fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and they may not have the time or the resources to hire. So LinkedIn is consistently finding ways to make the process a lot easier. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Locked On has launched the first ever 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube, and you can now also find it on Amazon Fire TV. The crew at Locked On are making big moves, and Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts, plus our national shows that cover every league. So find the Locked On Sports Today channel on Amazon Fire TV. All right, second segment, and the question leads off with you and James, talking about my brother James, were the first to rank Rob Dillingham in the top 10, at least from what I saw. Now others are starting to follow. How high do you think he can go? All right, first of all, uh, James had him in his top five, and that was pretty early on. Sounded crazy. Sounded crazy when he said it. And um, got a little backlash on Twitter, but, you know, that's just, that's just how, the, how the game goes. But to, it's almost like the first question. Inefficient gunners? I mean, Rob is not inefficient, but he does fit the style of player that I like, that I prefer. Guys that exude confidence, that can get their own shot, that are just buckets. And that is Rob Dillingham. So that's why I'd say we both were high on him early, but he's not inefficient. 44% from three, 48% from the floor, 75% from the foul line, 15 points, three rebounds, four assists in 23 minutes. Didn't have the best game this weekend. Only had six points against Gonzaga or Gonzaga, but only played 18 minutes. He was two or six from the floor, only 18 minutes. I don't, I don't know what was what was going on there. But how high can he go? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, this class is wide open. I think he is one of the better players in this class. The production backs up what I'm saying. The biggest concern is the size. Kentucky has him listed at like 6'3". There are some people that I've spoken to who say they think he's really 5'11", unless he's grown four inches between last summer and, and the fall. So I think the, the measurements at the combine are, are going to have a lot to do with it. But right now, I feel like there's a lot of NBA scouts that are starting to turn the corner on Rob Dillingham. There are some people that were totally anti-Rob Dillingham coming into the season. They still weren't sold at the beginning of the year. And then now, slowly, as they're watching more guys in this class and watching him play and perform more, that they're turning the corner and starting to see him as a top 10 pick. How high can he go? Maybe five? Maybe four? I don't know. I mean, this class is so wide open, it's just tough to predict where, where guys will, will end up going. All right, question number 15. This is a good question. What makes Cody Williams better than Stefan Castle? What makes him better? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, that's just a matter of opinion. I'm someone that respects everybody's opinion. Like, I don't really argue guys down if they have something outlandish. Like, there was a, a kid that had Juan Nunez. In, in his top 10, I believe, and people just ripped him to shreds on social media. I don't because I just, you know, I, I respect everybody's opinion. Everybody's going to be wrong the majority of the time. So if you have Stefan Castle head and shoulders above Cody Williams, I mean, I may or may not agree with it, but I'm always interested in, in seeing why. And if you have a good valid reason why, then I respect it. So with Cody Williams, I talked about him in the last episode, 14 points, three and a half rebounds, 1.9 assists, 56, 46, 71 shooting splits. While the shooting numbers are good on paper, I still think there are some concerns about his shooting. 
because that was like his biggest knock coming into the season. And you can pretty much say the same for Stefan Castle, who's averaging 10.9 points. Now, he's not shooting as well as Cody Williams from three. They're both reluctant shooters. They don't shoot threes at a high volume, but Castle's only at 32% from three, 71% from the foul line. So if you're one of the people that believes free throw shooting is the best indicator of shooting touch, neither one is like an incredible free throw shooter. Castle's averaging 4.4 rebounds, 3.1 assists per game. I like Castle. I like the physicality that he plays with. I like the fact that he can play multiple positions. I mean, they're both versatile. I think they both can play some point forward role in, in the NBA. I think maybe even initiate the offense down the line. I think Castle's more of a natural playmaker than Cody Williams. His role is a little bit reduced compared to Cody. Even though Cody's in a situation where he's he has possibly two teammates on his team that could be in the 2024 NBA draft. But I like Castle. I like him a lot. The shooting is the big concern. But athleticism is, is interesting also. There are times where he looks athletic with a runway, but then there are times where he just looks like he lacks vertical pop. But I like the physicality. I think defensively, both are going to be really good. So if you take Castle over Cody Williams, I can't really knock you there. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, Castle has had some some good games down the stretch. I mean, he missed time with the knee injury, so he's kind of getting back, kind of getting his rhythm back. But I know Cody missed time with the wrist injury, so there are some similarities. But Castle's twenty points against Providence and twenty one against St. John's were were games that made me feel like, okay, there's a chance that he could be the first college player taken. Then he had a dud against Butler, but then he had a 17-point game on 8 of 11 shooting against Georgetown this past weekend. So, like I said, you can't go wrong with either guy. If you like Castle over Cody, hey, <laughs> I, can't, I can't knock it. All right, number 16, the question is, Judah Mitz is a hooper. Agreed. Why doesn't he get a lot of love? And in your opinion, why isn't he a lottery pick? Very, very good question. I actually talked to a scout that was in love with Judah Mintz. He mentioned to me that Judah was the best player that he saw in the ACC. It was tough to guard one-on-one. Felt like he was the best shot creator in the conference. And he just loved the fact that he had enough passing chops and playmaking to make you respect him as a passer. But he just thought that he was very, very, very difficult for teams to guard. And Mintz is averaging 18 points, 4.6 assists, 3 rebounds. He's athletic. The concern that I've heard is about his size. They got him listed at 6'4", 176. But what makes things so interesting is that He's listed as bigger than Rob Dillingham. So if you are a person that likes Rob Dillingham, then how could you like not like Judah Mintz? Like if, you, if the size is the issue with Dillingham, then it should be the same with Mintz. Even though Mintz is listed as bigger, he's listed at 6'4", 176. But it just seems like Mintz is like an acquired taste amongst scouts and people that I've talked to they say that the wingspan isn't long I don't know the measurements but it's just far as like the inefficiency the shot selection 
And my my rebuttal is, I mean, he's averaging four and a half assists per game. Still, some don't like it. But, again, he's just an acquired taste. But he's scoring. Like I said, he's a bucket. 18 points per game. Can pass. Is athletic. Loves to get to the foul line. Coming into the season, there were concerns. At least I had concerns about the three-point shooting because his game was all free throw line and in. And he just like the crafty scoring. But could he shoot off the catch? And he was he was hot at the beginning of the season. He's cooled down of late from three. I know like over the last few games, he he's had games where he's only taken like one three. He had a game where he took seven. But three-point shooting is is probably the biggest concern. Like he was one for three against Clemson, 0 for two against Louisville, one for two against Wake Forest. He actually took seven threes against Boston College, which is like crazy because he's not a high-volume three-point shooter. Then against Florida State and NC State, he only took one. But what I like is he doesn't bail defenses out. Like, he is in attack mode, and I like that. So, he's had multiple games this year where he's had double-digit foul attempts, which is something I like. I mean, he had 11 foul attempts against New Hampshire, 14 against Colgate, 10 against Tennessee, 15 against LSU, got to the foul line 15 times against Georgetown, 11 against Oregon, 15 times against Florida State, 18 free throw attempts. Like, he had a game against NC State where he was, and I remember seeing the box score thinking, like, is this a mistake? He was 3 of 9 from the floor, but finished with 20 points. He was 14 of 18 from the foul line, went to the foul line 15 times against Louisville. So he gets downhill, he attacks, he's aggressive. So I guess the biggest knock about Judah Mintz is that he doesn't take enough threes and he is not an efficient three-point shooter. He's a good foul shooter at about 75%. So I would say the three-point shooting playing off the ball is the biggest concern about Judah Mintz and why he's not considered a lottery pick. But again, there are guys that are shooting just as bad from three and teams really like. So an acquired taste. All right, coming up in the last segment, I have four more questions and that will wrap up Mailbag Monday, part two. Stay tuned. All right, before we get into the next set of questions, I want to ask you, the listener, are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Do you ever wonder what adventure could be around the corner? Well, our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. My favorite one is the Nissan Pathfinder. It has room up to eight. It has an expansive cargo capacity. And advanced available 4x4 capability. It has 284 horsepower and it can tow up to 6,000 pounds. So when adventure calls, the Nissan Pathfinder is there to answer. So take the Nissan Pathfinder and go find your next big adventure. Shop at NissanUSA.com. All right, we are wrapping up Mailbag Monday, part two. All right, question number 17 asks, is Reed Shepard really a lottery pick? I keep seeing it, but I don't see how he's better than Isaiah Collier or someone like Wooga Poplar. What are your thoughts? I think Reed Shepard is going to be a lottery pick. I think late lottery, I mean, there's some teams that really like him. I spoke to a scout from a Western Conference team that 
really, really raves about Reed Shepard. And he talks really about him just being someone that can fit and play with anybody, whether it's, you know, your your superstar because he can play off the ball. He thinks he's a better point guard than what he's been able to show. He thinks that he's a good defender as far as just like his IQ and his smarts. And so there are some teams that really like, really, really like Reed Shepard. So it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in the lottery. Is he better than Isaiah Collier? I think maybe he's safer. I don't, oh, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't see a world where Collier goes ahead of, of Shepard or even behind him. <laughs> this draft is, is wide open. I mean, if Collier finishes strong, then I think he could regain some of the momentum that he had before the injury. But Reed Shepard is, he's safe. Like, you know what he's going to give you. You know, he's going to give you outside shooting. He's going to give you playmaking. He's a smart defender. The big question that people talk about, is he athletic enough to hang in the NBA? I mean, I think he should be fine. I think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. I think sometimes when you see a a player that's not like playing above the rim, you, you think that he's he's not athletic. But I mean, Reed is a smart defender. And usually when you hear people talk about, is he athletic enough to hang or does he have the athleticism? The concern is they're talking about on the defensive end of the floor. And so he's proven to be a, a very, very smart defender. Like his knack for getting his hand on the ball and, and steals is really impressive. So is he better than Isaiah Collier or, or Wilga Poplar? Popular? I think that he has a maybe a more defined role as a complimentary guy, like I said, that can play with any star. Like you throw him... On the Suns, he can complement that group of guys. You put him on the Mavericks, he can play on the floor with with Luka. If you put him on the Clippers, if he's in a lineup with James Harden or Kawhi or whatever, he can space the floor and, and, and make their life easier. So I think you can plug and play him with anyone. Now with Collier, I think maybe his upside is higher, but he's going to need the keys to the offense to maximize his potential. And while Wilga can shoot, has three-level scoring potential, I think that people just may see Reed as the safer as the safer pick. So, all right, number eighteen is KJ Simpson, Colorado's KJ Simpson. Is he a first rounder? Because the numbers suggest that he is. KJ Simpson has had really good seasons back-to-back to average 19 points per game five rebounds per game 4.6 assists he is the rare like point guard that's averaging more rebounds than assists he's a great rebounder at 6-2 there's some guys that <laughs> that are like bigger 6-9 6-10 that I feel like don't have his rebounding instincts whether you like him or not, or you have concerns, you cannot knock the efficiency. You can't knock the numbers. Again, 19 points, five rebounds, four and a half assists, 49, 43, 89 shooting splits. He's efficient. He's a bucket. He's knocking them down. Maybe some teams would be concerned about his size, 6'2, 189, but I don't think he's like incredibly small. So it's just hard to knock knock what he's done. I mean, he's had an incredible season for Colorado, and I, I definitely think he is someone that will be drafted. I would draft him, but again, this class is—I've probably said it ten times already. This class is, is wide open, but I think he'll 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 be drafted. All right, number nineteen, wrapping it up. 
Who's the player nobody is talking about that is going to make noise in the NCAA tournament? This answer came to me immediately. Tyon Grant Foster. And me and James did a podcast about him early. He is. Now, you talk about, like, style of players that I like, that I fall in love with. He fits the mold. 6'7", crafty, can handle the ball, can shoot. Is a really good defender. You haven't seen people talk about his defense. Most, most of the time when you hear about him, you hear about his story, about the time that he's missed due to a, a medical situation. But he is an absolute bucket. And he is one of the better defenders at the wing position in the country. If you just look at his profile, the way he moves at 6'7", and I've mentioned like there's this Karis LeVert slash Jordan Crawford in his game, but the way he moves his feet and how fluid and agile he is, I think he could end up being someone that makes a lot of noise on the defensive end too. But I think in the NCAA tournament, I mean, his team is first in the whack. I think their record is like 23-2 and two or I don't know, something crazy like that. But he is the player that I think can put up big numbers and really like get the attention of the national media in the NCAA tournament. So he would be my choice for the player that people aren't really talking about that is going to make some big noise when he's on the big stage, on TV. I mean, like on TV in front of everybody, and I mean, they can knock off a, a higher seat. So, Tyne Grant Foster is the guy that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing in the NCAA tournament. All right, last question. I saved this one for last because I think this is the best question for me. You were really high on Gigi Jackson last year, and I thought you were crazy. Yeah, a lot of people did. Now Gigi looks like the player you thought he was last year. Why were you so adamant about Gigi? And what did you and Leaf, shout out to Leaf Tuline, who was also pro Gigi Jackson last year, but what did you and Leaf see in him that made y'all and others wrong? Also, who is this year's Gigi? Um, to, for the last part, I don't know who this year's Gigi is. Gigi was someone that when I first saw him, like the very first time I watched him on film, I just felt like this dude has got it. He's got the tools. We're talking 6'9", can handle the ball, can shoot the pull-up jumper, exudes confidence. Yes, he was inefficient last year, but people, I don't know, for whatever reasons, didn't like him. They used the inefficiency against him. But I was like, man, he was 17 at the start of the season. People talked about how immature he was. Okay, he was 17, and so it's crazy. A lot of people that are really knocking him for being immature were probably immature themselves. And I think some teams, like, quietly regret passing him up. I mean, there were some concerns because of him answering some questions on live, but I just believe you just bet on the talent. I mean, Cam Whitmore is another example. Bet on the talent, all right? Just bet on the talent. There are guys that are going to be first-round picks. This is just my opinion. There are guys that are going to be first-round picks. Guys are going to be lottery picks every year that flame out. So if there's a a chance a player is going to flame out anyway, then just bet on the talent and the upside. And I think Gigi's upside is one of the best or was one of the best in the 2023 class. I think it still will be. If he keeps playing the way he's playing, I don't know if he – has enough time to make first team all rookie, but I think he is going to be an all rookie selection, which is pretty 
incredible considering the guy was the 45th pick in the draft. But why was I adamant about him? I just trusted my gut. I just felt like this guy is more talented than the players that other people hype up. I feel like the draft space is a lot of follow the leader. So if you know one of the, the biggest platforms has a guy high, others tend to follow. ESPN wasn't high on Gigi, neither was the major platform. So a lot of people just kind of followed that. Obviously, the teams weren't as high on him either. But I just really liked him. Like I said, the ball handling, the shot making, the athleticism. I thought it was all there. I thought it was everything you look for, and at least for me, in a modern-day NBA 4. Because I see where the game is going. And I think if you have guys at the four spot that can handle the ball, shoot, attack, closeouts, rebound, post up smaller defenders, I just think that is a weapon that very few teams have. And I thought Gigi fit that. So that was why I was so adamant about Gigi. And ironically, he ended up doing his pre-draft training here in Dallas. And I got a chance to know him and spend time with him and and his, his camp, the people around him, and all the immature you know, concerns. I didn't see him. I didn't see him at all. But um, to answer your question, I don't see another Gigi in this class, but there is somebody that I, th- I mean, well, I shouldn't say, I say this. I don't see another Gigi in this class, but I do believe the way this class is so wide open, again, here I am saying it again, there could be a guy that is a second round pick that ends up on a two-way deal, that gets his contract converted into a standard contract, that ends up being one of the top 10 to 15 players in his class because his class is so wide open. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Once again, thank you for tuning in to part one and part two of Mailbag Monday. I can't promise to do this every Monday, but I will do a Mailbag Monday at least once a month between now and draft time. I really love answering the questions, so... So keep them coming. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow, and I am...